What do the Chiefs have in Brian Witzman, and why on earth haven't they signed a safety yet? Let's talk some Chiefs, guys. Welcome to the Chief of the North podcast, the land of 10,000 takes. I'm your host, Minnesota Chiefs fan, or Seth Kaiser. And as always, it is a good week to be a Chiefs fan. I've got some stuff that I want to cover with you today about the offensive line, in particular Brian Witzman, whose film I reviewed last week. I want to talk about what I think the ceiling for that group is and uh, get a little bit into the offense. We've talked about them a lot lately, but the issue that's mostly on my mind today, as has been the case often lately, is safety. So I'm going to be talking about that too and figure out what is going on with the safety market, what the Chiefs might be thinking, and guys that I still think they should take a flyer on in free agency. After that, we're going to do some mailbag questions. It's going to be a jam-packed show. I'm going to try. Last time I had multiple people tell me how upset they were that I missed their mailbag questions. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll do the best I can. Um, before we get started, I just want to remind you guys that now during the offseason, we've got a, a the Arrowhead Pride uh, podcast trio going right now. There's me, you know, the Chief in the North, which you obviously know about because you're listening to right now. There's the Arrowhead Pride podcast. That's the official podcast because it has Joel, the blog father, Thorman. It has Pete Sweeney. It also has Sean Barber, former inside linebacker for the Chiefs. That's a great show. Obviously a very different uh style than what I do because this is just me babbling for half an hour but they do a great job and then for you draft nuts and I know a lot of you are out there the the Friday the Airhood Pride podcast or draft podcast show whatever it is they call it it has uh Ken Swanson and Jake Stack who they do a fantastic job and you should take a listen to that especially if you're crazy about the draft those guys they look at everyone it's absurd every player I met I bring up because I don't do much draft stuff they know about this person and they've looked at this person and I mean to me it seems like a lot of time but as far as I know between the two of them I think they might only have like one kid and so I mean let's be honest they've got a lot of spare time so check those shows out and let's uh let's now that we've got that stuff out of the way let's talk about offensive line so people are feeling pretty good about the Chiefs offense right now um, they've they've got a lot of pieces in place. You know, a lot of it depends on your your opinion on Patrick Mahomes. If you think Mahomes is going to hit the ground running, you feel great about the Chiefs' offense right now. It was one of the top five or six offenses in the league last year, and that was with kind of a midseason swoon where Alex Smith struggled for a while and some other weird stuff was going on. But they were still a very very good offense last year, and now they're bringing back everyone except Albert Wilson, who. I'll be perfectly honest. I think Albert Wilson does have some value, but I do think his value for the Chiefs and his contributions last year have actually become a little bit overrated, which is what happens when you lose guys in free agency. Um, but they've, they've brought everyone back. They're getting Chris Conley back, and that should bounce out the loss of Albert Wilson, even though they don't play necessarily the exact same roles. Conley lines up all over the field just like Wilson did, so that should help a lot. And then obviously they brought in Sammy Watkins, and you've got everyone who has been in the system now for a year or two or three or four. Continuity is a great thing on offense because it allows you to build on your installs. It allows you to, to, to morph your offense without having to teach people the basics. Now, Watkins is going to have some stuff to learn, obviously. He'll probably take on the uh, the Z receiver role, or I'm sorry, the X receiver role, to where he's going to be primarily a boundary receiver. I don't think it's going to be too tough for him. He did a good job in L.A. last year, despite being traded much, much, much later on in the whole process. So he's going to have a chance in OTAs to actually adjust to the offense. And 
McVeigh runs some similar stuff to what Andy Reid runs at times, so I think that'll help too. Anyway, the moral of the story is I feel good about the offense. I feel really good about the offense. Now, again, I'm one of the biggest Patrick Mahomers out there. I, I think he's going to be a really, really, really good quarterback. I don't think it's going to take as long as some people think. Now, we'll see what happens. But I, I'm, I'm optimistic. People look at the, the entire offense. They say, okay, they were good last year. They're bringing everyone back. They're getting some guys back from injury. Spencer Ware should be back. That'll be a big help for Kareem Hunt. It's just looking real solid. The one fly in the ointment that, that, that seems to exist is that pesky left guard position, which for years has vexed Chiefs fans. There, there's always been this, you know, this, the, the elephant in the room on, along the offensive line has, has consistently been left guard ever since at least they, they picked up Mitch Schwartz to finally solidify the right tackle spot. So... Brian Witzman played left guard for the Chiefs in almost every game last season. Uh, Traditionally, throughout his career, he has been a tackle, but he came in, lined up at guard, and the general consensus among Chiefs fans is that he wasn't very good. So what I did is I went back, and if you haven't seen it, the article is up on Arrowhead Pride. Uh, It's still up there. You can look at the film review. What I did is I went back and I watched four of his games, and I did what I always do. I chart every snap, um, looking at wins, losses, neutral plays, you know, what's a win. I think that at this point, if you're listening to this, you understand intuitively what it means to win as an offensive lineman. You don't necessarily have to pancake the guy, but you do have to clearly win your one-on-one assignment. If that's in pass protection, that means you keep the quarterback completely clean. He doesn't get moved off his spot. If it's run blocking, you wall your guy off or you move him off the spot. Whatever whatever it is, you know, you're getting to the second level and walling off the linebacker. However that is, that's a win. A loss is the opposite, right? You, you, let, you, you lose and the pass rusher gets around you. Even if he doesn't record a pressure because the quarterback gets rid of it quickly, that's still a loss on your part. If, uh, if the running back makes a great cut, even though you missed your block, that's still a loss on your part. A neutral play is a play where the lineman doesn't have a lot to do or kind of falls somewhere between a win and a loss. Neutral plays aren't necessarily bad for offensive linemen. The, the key to all this is generally loss percentage. Because while an offensive lineman winning does not guarantee success on a play, an offensive lineman losing almost certainly means failure. Now, not every time, but it means someone else has to make an amazing play in order for the play not to get messed up because of an offensive lineman's loss. So loss percentage is where it's at. And of course, the reason we do this is to separate the offensive lineman's play from everyone else's play. Because if you just look at, you know, rushing yards or whatever, well, the line clearly didn't play well. That that doesn't make sense. A line is is a series of disparate parts that create a whole. And you've got to separate individual play from the whole play if you want to figure out exactly what is going on with an individual player. So I did that with Witzman. Um, take a look at the article on Arrowhead Pride. The, the short story is he's not, he was not good last year. Uh, I, I'll lead with that. I wouldn't even call him necessarily average. His loss percentage was higher than I'd like. Uh, my, my general thing for a loss percentage is if I got a guy starting for me, I want him to be at 10% or lower for a loss percentage. For frame of reference, you know, LDT in recent years has been around like a 6 or 7 loss percentage, uh, 6 or 7%. That's a great that's a great job on his part. And that might seem absurdly low, but that's that's the reality of the NFL. I've I've reviewed dozens and dozens of offensive linemen at this point, and the good ones are below 10%. 
an average guy, you might be able to get away with 10, 11, maybe even 12%, but it's still a little bit iffy because that usually means you're including games where they're hovering into that 15, 16, 70% range. And while you might say, well, that's only the difference of a couple plays, well, in the NFL, when your entire game makes up between 50 to 70 snaps, two or three snaps ruined by an offensive lineman is wildly important, especially because, you know, if it happens on a third down situationally, this can be hugely important. Here's the interesting thing with Witzman. I will say this. He was not good. I wouldn't even call him quite average, but he wasn't nearly as bad as people said he was. And that surprised me because my impression of him was not a good one. I was one of the people that thought, yeah, he's he's this major weakness. You know, the reality is he really wasn't that big a weakness along the line. He was not particularly good, but it wasn't awful either. Um, you know, when I think awful, I think of like what Mike McGlynn did, you know, in his in his time with the Chiefs or uh, the first year that uh, LDT, um, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, he, the first year he started, he was really bad. Uh, Witzman was actually better than LDT was that first year. Now, of course, that doesn't mean he has the same upside LDT has. He's quite a few years older. He's been in the league longer. He didn't have nearly as as high a hill to climb. You know, LDT came from a Canadian college. I mean, this it's a whole different situation, so I'm not trying to compare the two. But what I am saying is that he really wasn't that bad. And what I like about Witzman when you watch his film... He's very athletic. He moves laterally in space well. He 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 so he can he can go side to side. He also moves to the second level well, running in space. So that's that's the reason clearly why Andy Reid likes him. Andy Reid likes his offensive lineman athletic. He can do some good things in the run game with with poles and reach blocks and traps and, and all that kind of stuff. He can really get where he needs to be and he's pretty good at that. Um now the the downside with him Oh, well, we'll continue with upside for a minute. He also, surprisingly, in my opinion, he packs a pretty good punch in his upper body. He actually has some power in his upper body. His arms seem to be pretty strong. He's got pretty heavy hands. That's an advantage for an offensive lineman. When he's able to land that first punch, he's able to do some things, whether it's in pass protection or in the run game. He's a better run blocker than a, than a pass protector. He's not horrible in pass protection, but he does seem to miss blitzes, stunts, things like that a little more often than I'm comfortable with. Now, could another year with the team help with that? Certainly. And it did get a little better as the year went along. He was not as bad at the end of the year as he was at the beginning of the year. So that always gives you hope for a little bit of development in that area. So those are the things he's got going for him. He's He's a solid run blocker. He gets where he needs to be very quickly. He gets out in space very well. He can do a lot of the things Andy Reid likes his linemen to do. In pass protection, usually he's pretty competent. Occasionally have a really bad loss. Uh, swims and clubs bother him quite a bit. Um, but it's also more against high-level defensive linemen where that happens. And that's what's going to happen when you have a non-elite guard out there. So he's got some strengths. He honestly, I was expecting a, a dumpster fire, and he was not that bad. Now, there are some weaknesses there, though. Like I said, he can be tossed and moved. While he's got some power in his upper body, his lower body, that's where it's really at for linemen, right? The power really comes from your base and your lower body and your butt or whatever you want to call it there and he's just not thick enough in the lower area to really drive guys he doesn't generate a lot of movement in, a, in when when he's asked to push guys off the ball in short yardage situations or any kind of power scheme while he can wall guys off he can be moved he can be clubbed aside he just he just can't consistently create movement and that's a problem there like i said his, he seems to have issues with recognition at times seems to respond slowly to blitz pickups or to 
to stunts and twists. Now it's something to note. Just because you see a blitzer run screaming through the spot where the left guard is supposed to be, that doesn't mean it's necessarily his fault. I had a really good conversation with uh, Jeff Schwartz and Jeff Allen about this when I posted a, uh, a, a, a tweet, a gif showing him vacate the area saying, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what he's thinking. And they both said, you know... When it when when protection does certain things, when it's sliding to the right, and they explain a little bit, you can check my mentions for it if you want. That really a lot of that might be on the center or the left tackle or the quarterback not recognizing the blitz. And so it's important to remember: just because a blitzer goes through a guy's spot doesn't mean it's his fault. He's doing his job. And as an offensive lineman, you cannot freelance. You can't say, "Well, we called this, but I think I need to move the other way." You can't do that because the minute you start doing that, you're you you start just generating huge amounts of pressure from the opponent. So that's something to keep in mind. But again, you do see him miss more often than I think he should. He misses more than LDT when it comes to blitzes and stunts. And that makes me assume that it's at least partly on him. Another thing is for a guy who's so athletic, he does whiff in space a bit more than I'd like. Um, one thing about, say, like Mitch Morse, whom we all know, I mean, I love Mitch Morse. I love the way he plays the game. Morse is as is more athletic than Witzman and gets into space even better, but he rarely misses in space. He locks on a much smaller, faster defenders really well. Witzman misses a little more often. And so... I would just say he does have some good qualities. He also shows a little bit of nastiness. He shows a willingness to finish on double teams. That's something that I really like about him. But at the same time, he does have some weaknesses. And if the Chiefs decided to upgrade him, I think it would be a good thing. On the flip side of that, if the Chiefs decided not to, if they decided to stick with Witzman, I'd be okay with it. I am no longer in a position like, man, they need to take a they need to take a guard in the second round. Oh, man. Now for me, maybe if like Hernandez or Wynn falls great. If not, I think they can stick with what they have, maybe draft a developmental guy. Man, we spent a lot of time talking about Brian Witzman. I want to talk about the safety position for a little bit. We'll do that a bit before and a bit after the break. Here's the long and short of it. Right now, the safety position, it seems... um, well, it seems bad. I don't I don't know how else to say that. It, it seems like it falls short from what I would like to see it. You know, Sorensen, after being okay as a third safety, he really struggled last year when asked to fill Eric Berry's shoes, which, hey, being asked to fill Eric Berry's shoes cannot possibly be easy. But at the same time, you would have liked to see him play better. I would have liked to see him play better. Eric Murray, he did not play as well as I would have hoped to have seen either. And so right now we've got Barry coming back, which to be fair, he's coming back from an Achilles. I trust Barry to come back perfectly healthy. I think he's he, he's unstoppable. But the safety position looks thin. And here's why that's really driving me nuts. And we've talked about this a little bit before because there are still a ton of good safeties left on the market. The Chiefs cut Ron Parker to save salary cap. It was it was reported that they asked him to take a pay cut and he refused. Well, he's still on the market. You know, at this point, you got to wonder if you'd be like, hey, you want to come back from the veteran minimum? Because I'm more comfortable with Ron Parker, even though he didn't play well last year. I'm more comfortable with him than I am with Sorensen or Murray. But it's not just him. Tyvon Branch is on the market. He played well last year before getting hurt. There might be an availability issue, but he can play. Uh, Kenny Vaccaro is on the market. Eric Reed is on the market. Uh, Trey Boston is on the market. There are guys on the market who can play. Like actual good safeties who are on the market. And the market this year has just been bizarre. You've got guys signing for pennies on the dollar. And that is... 
one reason why this is driving me nuts in particular, uh, Trey Boston was quoted as saying him and his agent are a lot closer to the veteran minimum now than they were to the 7 or $8 million a year they were looking for when things started off. And so for me, it's a matter of cost and benefit. You can upgrade a weak position for pennies on the dollar as to what you used to what what we all thought you'd have to spend but yet they're not doing it and it's driving me crazy and I'm going to talk about why a little bit more here but first we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and uh we'll we'll, we'll talk we'll talk a little more about safety and then we're going to try to do all the mailbag questions so we'll do all that right after this all right we're talking safety and then we're going to go right into mailbag questions so like I said, the, the safety market is soft, and I already named off a bunch of guys, and people ask me a lot, well, who do you want the Chiefs to sign? i got to tell you, any of the guys I just named, I would be perfectly fine with. I would be perfectly fine with Vaccaro. I'd be fine with Eric Reed. I'd be fine with Trey Boston. And as far as Eric Reed goes, by the way, I know there are people with the whole anthem thing and all that. I'm talking about what I would do, okay? I would sign him. Um, especially when you look at how soft the safety market in general is, you should be able to get him for relatively cheap because that's what's happening with every other safety this offseason. Um, even even uh, uh, the even the Honey Badger, he signed for less than people thought he would. It was like a one-year, $7 million deal that he ended up go- going with. This, the safety market is just soft this year. And so... My my pref- preferred guy, I think, if I were going to pick one, would probably be Trey Boston. And the reason for that is I think he has a skill set that the Chiefs currently lack outside of Eric Berry. He's a guy who can patrol the deep third of the field and do a good job of it. I appreciate the job he does on that. And that, that allows Eric Berry to play a robber role. It allows him to play close to the line of scrimmage if he wants. It allows him to play all over the field as opposed to being stuck back there. I don't trust Daniel Sorensen over the top, although I think he's better there than he is close to the line of scrimmage, honestly, even though he's supposed to be a strong safety. I actually prefer him back in coverage. And Eric Murray, as far as I've seen, I don't, I think he's got the speed. I haven't seen the instincts from him to be the deep safety guy. Now, Trey Boston is awful against the run. And I understand that the Chiefs are trying to improve there, but the reality is your free safety. Now, he should just be that. He's your free safety. You don't need him to be great against the run. Ron Parker wasn't great against the run, even when he was at his absolute best, and he was a very competent safety. Your free safety, your guy you got patrolling the deep third, he doesn't need to be a great run defender, because by the time it gets to him, you just need him to slow the guy down enough to prevent a big touchdown. And so that would be my preference, especially knowing that they're looking for cheap signings at this point. I would feel so much better about this free agency period if they went out and snagged a safety. They already they addressed the defensive line a little bit with Xavier Williams. I think he'll help. They addressed inside linebacker, which they needed to do with Hitchens. Um, corner, I wish they'd have done more than Amerson, but I'm thrilled with Fuller. Uh, we'll see what Amerson can do. But if they address safety, I'm willing to walk away from this free agency period calling it a win. So that's kind of where I'm at all on all that. It's just making me a little more nervous. I have no idea whether they're counting on Eric Murray to do better or Sorensen. Maybe they like a safety in the draft. But if they get a guy like Trey Boston, that allows them some freedom in the draft. And that's a really, really big deal to me to have that kind of freedom. All right. All that said, and we've said a lot, it's time to, uh, it's time to check out the, uh, the mailbag questions. And as usual, I will try my very best to get to as many of these as possible 
but I'm only human, guys. I, I'm just one man, and you guys always just show up in droves for this. And so I'm going to uh, I'm going to do what I what I usually do. Last time I started from the top and scrolled down. Now I'm starting from the bottom and scrolling up. So we're gonna get into the mailbag now. Let's see the first question we got here from my homie time. What is your biggest film review pet peeve about the process or something a player does that drives you insane? Okay, this is gonna sound really lazy. It really drives me nuts when two players look a lot alike, which I know maybe you'd think all players look a lot alike. They really don't. Um, you know, some guys have longer hair or something like that, but a lot of guys are like built differently. When I was reviewing, say, Sean Smith while he was playing with Marcus Peters, I could tell the difference between the two of them almost instantly because they're just built differently. Some guys tend to move differently. Um, Kendall Fuller, here's an here's a example of this. Before the snap, he would always be like rubbing his hands together. It was, it was an interesting kind of tick that he had, and it really helped me. Um, you know, and look, I mean, this is whatever. I mean, you know, some guys are white, some guys are black, some guys are more tannish, something in between, where you can act, at least distinguish it. What drives me nuts is when you've got, like, say, three guys that you're trying to review that play kind of positions where they rotate where they're at, even, like, whether you're a wide receiver, whether you're a corner, whether you're looking at linebackers. Uh, it just it becomes tough to differentiate between guys at times because they like maybe they've got the exact same number to start off with. That drives me crazy. And guys that move similarly, I will tell you, even though they are built differently, like DeAnthony Thomas and Tyreek Hill can be really difficult to separate when you're looking at the All 22 film because you're so far away. Because they're both smaller, shorter guys, and they often would be dressed similarly. So what you do is you like look for like different socks. It's just absurd. But that was one reason why I really like Sammy Watkins, because he has really long hair. And so that's a big pet peeve of mine. That and um, I believe it's the Bears, whose All-22 film is just horrible. Every time it's it's at Chicago. And Oakland's is weird, too. Um, Batman2287, there's a lot of Batmans on Twitter, I would assume, asks, if you had to bet money on Mahomes giving us a winning season, would you bet he would? I absolutely would. Are you kidding? I And here's the thing. Quarterback wins, that's not a stat. That's not a thing. Wins are a team stat. The Chiefs, um, they won plenty of games when Alex had his weakest season with them in 2016. That's just, that, that it's a team sport. That's one reason I love football, is it depends on everyone. Now, obviously, quarterback is the most important position on the field, but I just don't view it as you know QB wins as a as a team as an individual stat. Now, what I will say, I've had a lot of people ask me about Mahomes, and like I already said, I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to hit the rear on running. When you see the things Andy Reid is saying about him, when you see the things Brett Veach is saying about him, the whispers that I've heard. They expect him to be good right away. I don't think Andy Reid is interested in winning, okay? People that thought they were punting this season, um, some of the things that they've done tell me they're not just punting this season. They want to win a Super Bowl every single year. Brett Veach even said that. And they would not, if they thought that Mahomes was any kind of downgrade from Alex Smith, I don't think they trade Alex. Con contractually, things would have been tough, but I don't think they do that. And so the fact that they are replacing him tells me that they think they can hit the ground running and be just as good and probably better than last year. I personally think that Mahomes is capable of doing 95% of what Alex did, and he's capable of doing that extra stuff that Alex couldn't do close 
to 95% of, if that makes sense. He can do a lot of things that Alex just couldn't do. And I'm not talking about you know throwing the ball deep because Alex threw the ball deep pretty well last year, actually really well. Um, but I'm talking about being a little more consistent even in that area. I'm talking about pocket presence. I'm talking about post-snap reads. I think he can make plays when everything around him is falling apart, whereas Alex did not specialize in that. That was not his thing. He was really great at running the offense when it was firing on all cylinders. I think Mahomes can do that and be the rising tide that lifts all boats when things break down. Ryan asks, when your kids grow up, will you be okay with them playing football knowing the potentially, potential injury and health risks? Um, my oldest son, Tucker, actually is in football. He, uh, he plays defensive end. His last game, he, you know, it, was, it was a struggle for him getting used to it, but his last game, I don't mind telling you, he had two sacks, a couple tackles for loss, two forced fumbles, and a recovered fumble. It was awesome. Um, I've talked to Tucker a lot about that. I've talked to him about how you hit people. I've, I, and his coaches are really safety conscious. One thing I think you're starting to see, now maybe this is just in the area I'm in, I, I've talked to a few people and I think it's becoming nationwide, you're seeing more of an emphasis on safety. You're seeing more of an emphasis on keeping your head up. Now that's something they've always taught, but it's really becoming an emphasis now. And so for me, I am comfortable with it and the reason for that is you can't wrap your kids in a bubble. If they want, if my kid wants to be a BMX biker, I'm going to let him be a BMX biker. Yeah, he'll wear a helmet and he'll take safety precautions, but people still get really hurt doing that. If he wants to play baseball, I'll let him, I'll let him play baseball even though guys get hit in the head with fly balls. I'll let him play basketball even though people shatter their legs sometimes. I'll let him cross this, I'll let him ride his bike around town within reason, obviously, even though, you know, sometimes kids get hit by cars. There is risk and you can only mitigate so much of that. Now, the minute I think that he is with a coach or they're playing a team that's not doing it or there's something shady going on, I'll do whatever I have to do to protect my kid. But at the end of the day, you cannot wrap your kids in bubble wrap. So all you can do as a parent is make the most, is, you know, talk to them, let them know, you know, you could get hurt doing this. You okay with that? Are you, and, and let, let their input matter a little because let's face it, he's 12. His input doesn't matter that much. But, and then you make a decision based on that. It's like anything else as a parent. You try to mitigate the risk, but you cannot eliminate it. So then maybe that's just me. I'm sure other people have opinions on that. But for me, once they hit that 11, 12-year-old age, I'll let them have a choice and then I'll, I'll try to weigh the risk and reward based on what they want to do. Um, and so Harry's dad, <laughs> hi Harry's dad, asked, are the Chiefs satisfied for now at linebacker and said concentrate on defensive backs, defensive line, and offensive guard center? I hope they don't focus on offensive guard and center. I hope they sign Mitch Morse. That might be tough because they've already got some big contracts along the line, but I don't think he'll break the bank depending on how he plays this year. Um, although Fulton got paid pretty well too. I think they focus probably on defensive backs would be my guess in the draft, and I hope they do. I th They should be pretty satisfied at linebacker. I like Hitchens. I like Ragland. Houston's obviously Houston. We'll see what K-Pass is doing developmentally. Um, uh, Andy Simpson says, Antonio Gates is still out there. If we were looking at Watson, dot, dot, dot. Hey, go for it, man. Why not? Antonio Gates can still get open. We've seen it. Uh, that guy is going to be getting open until he's 60. I think the reason they were looking at Watson, though, is because he's a good blocker, and Gates remains a not good blocker. But it would be nice to see them still pursue a tight end. I don't particularly trust Demetrius Harris. And so if they went for him, I'd be all for it. Um, a name that I cannot... It's just a bunch of letters. Why do you think the Chiefs are prioritizing stopping the run so much? Um, well, because... Well, you answered this yourself. The clear answer is they were bad at it last year. Yes. Um, 
That's it. It really is, you know, it's, you know, Occam's razor. The simplest answer really is the best one. They were bad at stopping the run last year, so they wanted to grab a couple of guys who were good against the run. It really is that simple. Now, Hitchens, fortunately, can do some coverage stuff, too, and the ideally, Xavier Williams can help rush the passer a little more than Benny Logan did, but when you struggle doing something, and it rears its head, and it did rear its head in the playoff game. Yes, there were a bunch of other things that went wrong in the playoff game, but if the Chiefs had had guys that could really step in and stop the run, Chris Jones is good, Benny Logan does a pre- did a pretty good job, but I mean DJ struggled, KPL struggled, Raglan was good, Houston's good, but beyond that, you just didn't have any run stoppers out there, and you need more than three or four guys. You really do. You need to be strong across the board. So I think adding Hitchens, adding Williams, getting Barry back, that'll help. I think they're prioritizing it because it actually helped cost them a game. Um, Graham Richardson asks, who's your least favorite team outside the AFC West? If you're anything like me, the Steelers are up there. Yeah, it's the Steelers, and it's not even close. Um, same guy actually asked, and I wanted to touch on this real quick anyway. He said, nobody's talking about Parker Anger anymore. Is he not being considered for left guard? I actually have a ton of people asking me about him. Um, if anything, his play as a rookie has become a little bit exaggerated in my opinion. I'm going to look at his film next. I think Witzman has the edge over him because Anger, I think, got healthy down the stretch. And it's, uh, it, it didn't seem... It didn't seem like they wanted him out there. That that's where I landed there. Ben Taylor asked, obviously this is incredible variable. This is incredibly variable. But where do you see the Chiefs finishing the AFC West? I'm not going to give you an exact spot. I actually had someone else ask me who I view as the team that could rise up and dethrone the Chiefs after two division titles in a row. Um, which is so funny because you know I see everyone saying the Chargers at this point, which they were saying last year, and I think the year before that too. Um, I, I want to say the Chargers just because I think they've got the best roster, but I remember making a really big deal to people last year, like, oh, I don't believe in these curses with the Chargers. And then they just kept the same crap, man. Their kicker just, like, lost his mind, and their receiver got hurt. It was this whole thing, again. And every year, Phillip Rivers' arm gets a little bit weaker. Every year, those ducks get a little bit duckier. And we all remember what happened with Manning. We saw the arm slowing down. We saw the arm slowing down. And then finally, the last year, it was just... Just dead. The arm was gone. I'm just hoping, and look, from everything I hear, Phil Rivers is a perfectly nice guy in real life, so you know, I wish him the best, personally, but I hope this is the year that his arm is finally officially gone, and if it is, they're hosed. It doesn't matter about the talent on the rest of that roster. They are built around having Phil Rivers be good, but they are, I think, the biggest threat because of the talent level they have on that defense, and until Phil Rivers shows me otherwise, he is dangerous. Uh, Rudy Lowenstein, Lowenstein? Uh, sorry if I got it wrong there, Rudy. What are your thoughts on what's been happening with Gruden and the Raiders from their signings to releasing King? Is a turbulent season ahead of them in Oakland? I think so, but we'll see. You know, John Gruden's a lot smarter than I am, and, uh, you know, maybe they've got some kind of plan here long term. But releasing King, here's okay. A lot of people say, well, the Chiefs released Marcus Peters. I didn't agree with that for starters, but here's the difference. Andy Reid and his coaching staff worked with Marcus Peters for three years before making the decision to move on from him, and they traded him. They at least got some value there. Now, part of that's the position, right? But, I mean, they they waited for three years. They tried to work with him, as far as I can tell. Now, this isn't about blaming who or whatever, but the fact is there was time. They got to know him. Whereas John Gruden has never worked with King. He has no idea whether or not King is a decent teammate or not, he hasn't been around. And so, to me, this almost smacks of the whole, like, you know, 
Brian Waters meeting Scott Pioli and Todd Haley and it going really badly. You know, I mean, if you all remember that disaster, I mean, holy smokes. And as it turned out, that was entirely because of Haley and Pioli. And so I, we'll see what happens. But I, given the signings he's making, we'll see. We'll see what happens. So far, it does not look that encouraging. Joe Moore asks if April Fool's Day is the best or the worst. It's the worst. I don't like April Fool's Day. I don't like pranks. But maybe I'm just a killjoy. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to try to keep moving through these. I had a few of you ask me about free agents and stuff. I've already talked about that a little bit. Um, Attic Chief CBJ Brewer asks, if the Chiefs failed to make the playoffs the next two years, would the choice to draft a QB instead of sticking with Smith have been a poor move? I don't know. You can never really say what would have happened. It'll depend on how the quarterback plays. Um, I, I judge people based on... I judge people based on individual performance, not team performance. Um, Avic Khan asks, what's the realistic prediction for the Chiefs this year? 9-10 to 10 wins playoffs, playoff win, AFC Championship appearance, Super Bowl win. A realistic prediction, those are always impossible to do. I'll just say the same thing I said last year. I would not be shocked if they won a Super Bowl, and I would not be shocked if they went 8-8. Eight and eight. I'd be shocked if they were terrible. Those, that's the thing that would shock me. Um... Max M asks, who's mo- worth moving up in the first round and how much should we give for him? That, my friend, is a question for the Arrowhead Pride draft cast. So look look up Kent Swenson and Jake Stack on Twitter. They could tell you a lot better than I could. Um, there are guys that I would love to see, but I don't know enough about them, you know, honestly. For me, it's a matter of addressing the needs this year. Um... And so uh, Tim asks, I feel fine with Murray playing free safety. Why does the idea why does the idea of that bother you as much as it does? Because he played badly last year. And I don't like counting on guys who played badly to play well the next year. That's that's the whole deal with me. I don't like counting on guys to develop when I didn't you know, Murray flashed some some decent skills. It's funny, like the Bleacher Report top one thousand really liked him. So maybe I'll be maybe he'll play really well and I'll look like an idiot. And hey, that would be great. I would love to be wrong. When I was wrong about LDT, I was thrilled. I would be absolutely thrilled to be wrong. It's just tough to count on in house development when you don't see that stuff behind the scenes. Um that's just not uh that's just not something that's just not something I like counting on. I'm not comfortable counting on it. I used to be a lot more optimistic about player development. Now I'm more after a year I, I really do get impatient with this. And I know that's not always the best approach, but again, Murray does flash some skills and so it wouldn't stun me if he developed into a good player, but he really struggled with some stuff last year, and not just in one-on-one coverage with tight ends, but with zone coverage, there were times he was just way out of position, and that concerns me. Keith McLean, hi Keith, he asked, do you hide chocolates for your kids to find this weekend, and so how many did you hide? No, we actually put on a big event at our church, um, had a bunch of people come through for a big Easter egg hunt, uh, and I blew up like 300 balloons to have this balloon-filled room, and I'm telling you, I almost died. I have never been that exhausted my entire life. It was bad. But, yeah, that's what we did for Easter. It was a heck of a day. Corbin asks, have you seen your parody account? Yes, I have seen Evil Minnesota Cheese Fan, I think is what it's called. And, personally, I think it's hilarious. So, you you should give him a follow. He, like, his shtick seems to be whatever I say, he says the opposite. His thing is, like, you know, all stats, no film. I find it pretty funny. Like, I think he even says, like... On his bio, like, you know, he has no kids. And it's just, it's a funny thing to me. So, you know, give give that a follow. It's amusing. In the offseason, we need things to, to pass our time. All right. We're at 35 minutes. I'm going to take a few more, and then I'm going to let you go for the day. 
Uh, Merv87 asks, with rumors of Gronk being on the trade block, would you trade for him and what would you give? Man, I wish... Here's the thing with Gronk. His salary this next season... I mean, Belichick robbed him blind with his salary. You know, last year he made $6.5 million. I mean, the year 2015 when he was just balling out, he made eight, or that was his cap hit was eight. His really his contract is really one sided. Well, now that he's got not much dead cap, you hear that they're looking to trade him because. He, but here's the thing: he's 11 million dollar cap hit this year, 12 million next year. Now the health concerns with him are obvious. One thing I would point out is he played 50, he played 15 games in 2014, he played 15 games in 2015, and he played 14 games last year. I think the health things with him are a little exaggerated. The problem with him though is he's always getting maybe a little nicked up here and there. Here's the thing. Getting Gronkowski is like a we are all in the next two years. And him and Kelsey, I I genuinely do not know how you defend that. I genuinely don't. Because you can line them both up on the line and they're exceptional blockers and they're great receivers. I don't know how you defend that. I really don't, especially with Hill and Watkins. I don't. I have no idea how you defend that. For that reason alone, I would say, ah, maybe I'd think about it. I'd think about it. Um, the problem is it's a pretty big cap hit. You don't know what you're going to get from health-wise. He seemed kind of to be pondering retirement at uh, after the season, and I'm not sure if he's the kind of guy that really would want to live in Kansas City to where he might just retire if he got traded. That said, if you could guarantee that he wouldn't retire... I wouldn't trade a lot for him because of that contract, but I'd float a fourth-round pick out there and see if Belichick bites, maybe even a third next year. Because, like I said, the big thing for me, and again, you're taking a lot of risks here, right? You're rolling the dice a lot. But the thing is, if he is healthy for this year, I do not know how you defend that. I genuinely, I have, I have literally no clue. And I like the idea of having an offense where it's like, I don't know how you defend that. That sounds like fun to me to watch. Um, you know, the main event asks, why isn't there more concern over the free safety situation? I don't know. I don't know, man. I wish I knew. I wish I knew, but it's driving me crazy. It really is. Um, I have a bunch of other questions about uh, about about the safety position, but I think I've addressed that way too much. Um, Alex Lamaz asks, I know our defense is the main key going to the draft, but are you satisfied with our offensive line? Could you see us drafting offensive linemen in rounds two or three? Um, well, here's the deal with our line. Fisher right now, his contract makes him not replaceable right now. So if you took a tackle, you're taking him for the future there. Schwartz is a stud on a really reasonable contract. LDT is on a big contract, although his contract is getting more and more palatable. It's a top 10 contract for right guard, and he is better than a top 10 right guard. Um, I love Mitch Morse. We all know that. Um, but you might want to grab a center for the future because Fulton's gone and it's his contract year and who knows what kind of interest he might get. If he stays healthy this year, I think he'll have a lot of interest because he's a very good center. Um, so I could see them doing that maybe for developmental purposes or to grab a guy to replace Witzman, but I'm pretty satisfied with the offensive line for right now. Jared Polifka asks, Tony G or Kelsey? Ooh, that's tough. That is tough. Here's I, I gotta tell you, Tony Gonzalez is, is 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 he's the goat. He's the greatest tight end of all time. And so it depends on what you're asking. Are you asking me whether you want the career? Because obviously you take Tony Gonzalez. Or if you got want a guy for one game. I think for one game I might take Kelsey. And I know a bunch of people are gonna come after me for that, and I'm almost changing my mind right now saying it, but I just Kelsey is that good. Now, he's going to have to do it for another 
six, seven years to be even possibly in the conversation for greatest of all time at tight end. But he is that good. And so, all right, I think I've made it through all your mailbag questions. Uh, I, I missed a couple, but they were usually similar to something I've already answered. We've gone way over the time that I normally allot for this stuff. But you know what? I do it because I love you guys and because it's the off season. And let's face it, what else are we going to do? So that's what the show that I've got for you guys this week. I appreciate you guys listening as always. And, uh, you know, please be sure to subscribe and rate and review. We are apparently on Google Play right now. We're on iTunes. We're on all that fun stuff. When you subscribe, it really does help. So, you know, do that. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate talking Chiefs with you guys. Um, make sure to check out the other shows, the Arrowhead Pride podcast on Wednesdays and the Arrowhead Pride uh, the draft show on Fridays. They really are very, very good stuff. I appreciate you guys a great deal. I'll talk to you next week. This has been the Chief in the North, and we'll, we'll speak Chiefs again soon. <laughs> <laughs>